Hi, this is Jim from Safety Wars. Before we start the program, I want to make sure everyone understands that we often talk about OSHA and EPA citations, along with some other regulatory actions from other agencies, legal cases, and criminal activity. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Proposed fines are exactly that, and they are often litigated, reduced, or vacated. We use available public records, news accounts, and press releases. We cannot warranty or guarantee the details of any of the stories we share, since we are not directly involved with these stories, at least not most of the time. Enjoy the show. This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. And from the border of liberty and prosperity in the highway to the north, this is Safety Wars with Jim Polzel. How's everybody doing tonight? I hope everything's going well in your life. When says heat gonna end? Up here in the Northeast, they're saying on Sunday. It's great because I'm gonna be uh, at a baseball tournament all weekend. Be sweating it out. We're going out tomorrow to buy water. Lots of water. Then uh, we're going to have lots of ice this weekend. Thinking about picking up some dry ice. I don't know. If we can, can we find dry ice? Well, I only have to make one run of dry ice, not two. Anyway, how did you enjoy that discussion on cranes last night? I got some feedback. Uh, some good, some bad. Some. I won't say What are we talking about tonight? We're talking about what I planned on talking about last night, but that train accident happened in New York City. They're still doing the cleanup. And you have the aftermath of people being all PO'd because when the train fell, and they have video of this, it hit the building across the street. So the building across the street was a hotel. Now the hotel is closed. Uh, big issues there. And that was like a $300 a night hotel, which is not bad for New York City right, in Manhattan. I have only two, maybe three experiences staying in a hotel in Manhattan, and they were all paid for by the companies uh, and on hotel points. Uh, so it was, uh, you know, one of those things. No, uh, just one of those things. Uh, that are expensive. They're very convenient, I'll say that much. So uh, what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about public choice theory. Last week, I was uh, listening to a radio show uh, with a guest host, uh, not normal, and I'm not going to mention the name of the radio show, not important. But what the guest host said was very important. I did not get his name. It was along the lines of, We have so much rhetoric going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth between the Democrats, between the Republicans, between the Libertarians and the Greens and everybody else involved here that we need to start talking about. No, no, the world is run in the middle. It's not run out to fringes all the time. More commonly in the middle, in the centrists. So what we end up having to do is we need to start talking about ideas. We had a thing when we were always when I was involved in politics all those many years ago. Can't believe it's I've been out of it for so many years. Where you cannot allow the other side to drive the issues and educate your voters. We're on a four-year political cycle here. Centered around the presidential election and the Uh, and the midterm elections for Congress. Except in two states, maybe three that I'm aware of, Kentucky, New Jersey, and Virginia, right, where they have off-year elections, odd-number-year elections. So, so for example, uh, the governorship in New Jersey is on uh, odd-number years. The uh, legislative branch is on odd-number years. So, Who's at the top of the ticket, so to say, the top on top of the ballot? The top the person on top of the ballot 
is on is either going to be the governor or the state senator. And those odd numbered years, because the governor has four year terms. And and, uh, uh, and I believe the other states are very similar, Kentucky and Virginia. Don't quote me on Virginia, but it's definitely Kentucky. The federal elections are on even number of years. So the top of the ticket would be either uh, the presidential nominee and uh, no, and then two years later, it would be whoever is uh, in your district, the highest level person for office on a federal level, either a congressperson, a.k.a. House of Representative or a uh, or the uh, uh, senator. Now. What the basic philosophy is this. You have a presidential election. The year after your presidential election, the activists are supposed to be going out there. And I'm not doing anything secretive here. This is pretty much an open secret how this is supposed to run. You're supposed to go and educate your electorate that year. And then you're, the second year, you're supposed to run a slate of candidates and educate your electorate. Whatever the issues are, they're not local, federal, what have you. But you're always educating. And you try to get volunteers in mid-year elections. You develop people and everything else in the process. You bring new activists on. You find out who the thing, people are. And hopefully the consultants, no, consultants stay the hell out of everything. But anyway, but that's, and then the third year, and then you know who your people are who are not going to think out on you. For the year number four, then the third year, right? You have the third year, and then you, uh, and it's the same thing. You're educating your electorate, finding candidates, whoever else to get involved, voter registration drives, and this is every year. Then the fourth year, it's get out the vote. And you have to have a game plan, especially with the way things have gone with the early voting in a lot of states and everything. You have to do year number four, where you're getting out the vote, you're getting people on the ballot. And as I said, in previous years, and I'm going to be going previous episodes, not years, episodes, we'll go into a little bit of a deep dive on that, on that. Now, what, what does this have to do with safety? Safety is often driven by elections. One le- so COVID impacted the last election, it's going to co- impact impact in the midterms, it's going to impact the next election and policies and things of that nature. And also new people get in. Now you have, right, OSHA goes from a safety enforcement agency to a safety compliance uh, uh, agency. Uh, I'm sorry, safety compliance and enforcement to compliance assistance. And it's a different philosophy. You can see right now with the current administration in there, how things are going there, especially with uh, a lot of the initiatives. They're looking to push things through. So this past weekend, I'm watching the Sunday AM shows, something I normally don't do. Uh, my wife was away, so I was I was everything. My wife, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, you know we, we try to, I don't do enough. I'll admit it, I don't do enough, but. This weekend, everything was dumped on me. I had, you know, I have, uh, we have a family member that lives with us, uh, elderly, and we had, I have the two children, I have the two cats, I have, you know, all different activities going on all weekend long. Plus, I have another sick family member in another city. I'm running around, and one day I'll share with you the whole story here. Uh, not yet. And, uh, we you know we're having to take, that's why we're getting a lot of these programs out late and not live like here on Safety FM, where we are live right now, live streaming. So I'm listening. I'm making my apple cinnamon pancakes with real maple syrup. I don't get that artificial stuff. I get the real maple syrup. And we're out there and we're cooking it up. And I'm hearing now my father-in-law has no, and I'm planning on going to Zoom church, that sort of thing. And my father-in-law has this week on the WABC network on. And since I have been a student of the whole global warming climate change, I don't know what they're calling it this week. I haven't gotten the memo yet. 
uh, or I missed the memo, what, what we're calling it this week. Uh, I'm listening and I, I start screaming at the uh, TV. That's the public choice theory explains all of this. And I said, you know what? I need to go and discuss this because it's a branch of economics very familiar to libertarians or right-wing people. Not so familiar with the rest of the world out here. I had uh, come across this when I was in graduate school uh, from uh, an organization that I that we had on the program, the Heartland Institute. And uh, no, and I said, well, let me start researching this a little again, again get, getting into my head, figuring things out here. And it turns out that it's, it started sometime in the 1600s, the whole theory behind this, and it eventually got developed more in the 1960s here, and it continues to evolve. So what is it? It's from developed since the Enlightenment, and it's a branch of economics that seeks to explain why governments do what they do. Just like all models, has good points, bad points, pros, cons, criticisms, supporters, name it. And we're trying to communicate on this program big ideas. Safety revolution. If you listen to our episode one, the trailer, safety revolution. So we got to talk about big ideas. That's what human organizational performance is, big ideas. So modern uh, public uh, uh, choice theory, if we can call it that modern, right, and this goes back, uh, is that, no, it was originated by Thomas Hobbes, that the philosopher that said a lot of things. One of the things he said was people are self-interested yet rational. They will choose to submit to authority of a sovereign government to be able to live in a stable civil society, which is more likely to allow them to fulfill interests, whatever their interests are. Right? So modern uh, public choice theory uh, is a branch of economics. They do not deny that people care about their families, friends, and community. However, public choice, like the economic model of rational behavior on which it is based, assumes that people are guided chiefly by their self-interests and, more importantly, that the motivations of people in the political process are no different. So, in other words, people, you, you're motivated by self-interest, whatever that is. Politicians, they're people. I know it's hard to believe that by some people, you know, well, you have some people like David Icke that say they're lizards and everything else. Okay, great. Uh, but... People are motivated by their own self-interest. Politicians are no different. And more importantly than that, motivate, right? they are all human beings after all, with, and such voters vote their pocketbooks. That's not a very popular saying. Supporting candidates and ballot measures they think will make them personally better off. Bureaucrats strive to advance their careers, and politicians seek re-election or re-election to office. Public choice transfers the rational actor model to the realm of and economics up to the realm of politics. Now let's apply this to the global warming slash climate change, like I said, whatever we're calling it this week uh, thing, right? But it, it applies to all government in initiatives. I don't know who said it. I've been trying to research this for a long time uh, with this, but Government agencies, when they're set up, they uh, go and they try to fulfill their mission. As time goes on, they're not into fulfilling the mission so much. They're into empowering the organization, right? That seems to be a very uh, a theme. It seems to make sense. I haven't been able to track down who said that. Maybe a listener could send it in here to me. 845-269-5772 or jim at safetywords.com. So I've been following this whole thing since I'm a junior in high school. Starting in 1986, the Senate began to have hearings on climate change. And then again, they had them in 1987. 
1987, the Northern Hemisphere experienced a heat wave, not unlike what we've seen now. Maybe now it's a little bit worse, but not like, you know, we had a bad heat wave. And what happened in 1988? We had, it was an election year. And one of the candidates, you can figure out who this is. I'm not going to mention him by name, was a young, ambitious senator from uh, the Midwest that was running for president. These hearings were a few months before the first presidential primaries. I'm doing this from memory here. And the person running for president was featured in this, these discussions. He had been elected to the Senate in 1984. I believe it was his father's seat that he was occupying. His father was a lifelong senator. And uh, so he did not have rank in the Senate at that point, right? You have to have rank. You have to have years under your belt before you get chairmanships, co-chairmanships, things of that nature. So you didn't have rank yet. So another senator was out there pushing right through these hearings, and this senator was, knowing that he was going to be running for president in 88, went out and participated with all this stuff. And they were pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. Eventually, the set, the, he lost the primary election, but eventually had a very successful political career by most measures and wrote a book on the environment in the early 1990s and then in another book and a movie on the environment in the mid-2000s. Uh, you can look that up. One of the effects of this he, these hearings was this. Public money became available because they were pushing this. They said, we're going to put more money into this by the way oil industries don't get off the hook because the other side of the aisle is the same crap here where they're pushing their own agenda and their own special interests and public money becomes available and they fund their things so uh, don't think i'm letting anybody off the hook here right so huge amounts of public money became available right and still are there at the state, local, state, federal level, and now private level, right? Essentially, cottage industry and funding. When federal budgets are being negotiated, and they're being negotiated right now, it's August, then reports come out on dire warnings and everything else. I used to laugh with all these warnings that came out, these environmental warnings. They always came out in July and August, and maybe September because the beginning of the fiscal year is October 1st for the government. A lot of organizations. Right? And I'm not denying climate change here. I'm not denying it. But let's look at this from a objective point of view here. If you could call this objective. Ha, ha, ha. So what happens is when the news is pushing things and the government and all this other stuff, again, we're motivated by rational self-interest here, even the politician. They have to go, and what do they do? They gin things up. Now, what does that mean if you're from another co country? That means that they're going to promote things because they have their own self-interest, Whether even if that means they're feeling good, that they're doing something. And then all of a sudden, money becomes available. They're big proponents to this. It gets into the schools. Again, the other side of the aisle doesn't get, you know, they, I'm not dismissing this from them. Gets into the schools, and now all of a sudden, you have people going in and they're supporting it. The same now, let's fast forward, right? So, global warming, global climate change, nobody had an interest in this. Now people have an interest in it, but look at what we've been, been bombarded with over the last 20 or 35 years, I'll say. Constant bombardment. There's not a day that goes by without something in there on global warming or climate change or environmental issue. And this, rightly or wrongly, it's in the school books. It's in everything that goes in there. Now people, this is embedded in them. In, no, in, this is part of them, not in, but part of them. So now we have, on the opposite end, it's the same stuff. Rather than 
what we're for here is trying to pursue objective truth. That's for my thing. Truth, no matter how bad it is, objective truth this way, and that's what human and organizational performance is. We're trying to get truth. What happened in the context of what was going on? Right? And context drives behavior. So fast forward to this week. And by the way, I'm going to give uh, the, uh, to this week on ABC, the host, Martha Radis, major, I believe that's the way you pronounce it, Radiz, R-A-D-D-I-Z. I'm going to give her major compliments here. I think she did a phenomenal interview here uh, with, this, uh, with this. She interviewed uh, Governor Inslee of Washington. And I'm going to, uh, right, so here's the background. China has double the carbon emissions than the United States, right? And she was asking about global warming, blah, blah, blah. And she comes to this one question. Fast forward to this week on ABC, the host, Martha Raddatz, who, right, I'm complimenting. She asked one of the most important questions rarely asked on broadcast TV. And she followed up on it, more importantly. She asked Governor of Washington State, how do we get other, and I'm paraphrasing, how do we get other countries like China, the number one emitter of carbon dioxide, invested in climate change? Noting that any truly effective solution must be effective. And, right, and he said, and she goes on, time is running out. So what do you do? How do you bring others together? The governor Inslee stated, quote, we need to lead. And we need to lead not just from a moral standpoint, but from our own self-interest standpoint. That's when I lost it and said public choice theory, Right. We need to build these jobs here and build these economies here, uh, right? Meaning get things from China over here is what I'm reading into this. I'm drawing, a, I think, a little inference here, right? Now, my question is this. China's moving in their own best interest, their own self-interest, whatever it is. They're going to do what they're going to do because in their self-interest. Right now, they're holding a lot of cards here. They are holding a lot of cards. Think about all, everything that they have in this country. Up until fairly recently, and they may still have it, they've had police state, their own police in this country, doing research and everything else. If you listen to some of the reports, there is the uh, uh, Falun Gong uh, religious religion or philosophy. I'm not sure exactly what it is that is being harassed allegedly, and I'm saying allegedly, by Chinese operatives in this country. There, You can look that up. You have China heavily invested in south of the border here. We have fentanyl coming into this country, and apparently, I mean, there's an internet hoax going around that, fent that some workers got uh, given fentanyl by uh, unknown people, and one died and one is in the hospital. My understanding is that actually did happen uh, not too far away from here, all right, uh, 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 with a company that I know. I don't know. It hasn't been in the news or anything, but I don't know. I think it's a hoax. I think sometimes people get ideas from these hoaxes on what to do. So you have a huge fentanyl problem, killed hundreds of thousands of people accidentally and deliberately. And there's not a family member, a family that has not been impacted by this, in my experience. Uh, they hold, we import over $300 billion to the United States, and they import us. Uh, so there's a budget imbalance, and there's a trading imbalance here. I think the number is $338 billion. They hold just under $1 billion in U.S. treasuries. We have an issue with them in Taiwan. They're allies with uh, Russia, and aren't we like doing something over there? Ukraine with Russia over there against? I don't know. I don't remember that. All right. They have issues with the sovereignty of the South China Sea. You have the Wuhan lab of virology with COVID-19 situation. You have a battle 
for Africa's natural resources, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. They're acting in their own self-interest here, which is to continue to go out and grow their economy. That's what it looks to me. I'm not, hey, I'm not Henry Kissinger here, all right? I'm not Richard Nixon, who lived right down the road here, where I used to live. I'm just a humble and reserved safety professional and commentator. So my question is this. It doesn't seem like we're doing much leading out there. My question is this. How are we going to influence China with this? Are we really going to want to piss these people off? And again, this is safety. National safety. National security. They're holding all the cards here. We were told from way before I was born, and then shortly thereafter, it really became an issue after we went off the gold standard in 1973, the national debt. We started running up debt in the late 60s, early 70s, and it's been, except for a couple of years, of running up national debt. And we were told for years, well, this isn't, oh, this doesn't matter. It's not a problem. Oh, you people on the right, ah, come on, run up, run up the bills. We can manage that debt. We need to run up that debt. So we run up debt on the state, on the local, on the federal level, and now they're holding approximately one-thirtieth of our debt, depending on who you talk to, yet they're buying up property in the United States, sovereign uh funds. All this stuff is going on. Now we have an issue, which apparently right, governments act and politicians act in their own self-interest, public choice theory. Now we have an issue here with uh, uh, Governor Inslee stating here, well, we have to have leaders. You really think they're going to listen to us? After we've had two generations here, someone argue back in the 1930s, of all this crap happening with the debt and economics, and, hey, we have to export things. And Do you really think they're going to listen to us? Now we're in a climate emergency. At least that's what we are told. That's what people feel. We're in a climate emergency. we got to do all this stuff. We're raising the price of doing business here. If you're a safety professional, you've gotten involved, no doubt, with ESG, uh, uh, planning. I, I'm writing a plan tomorrow on this. 845-269-5772. Jim at safetywords.com. I can help you with yours. You're dealing with a country over there, China, and demographic collapse. We talked about it on this program. Japan is now dealing with demographic collapse. It's become more pronounced. How are you going to lead? That's my question to these folks. After we've had all of these problems ourselves that we set ourselves up, and this is what it is. We've reduced our capacity to respond. And what's safety? Capacity. Part of safety is capacity and resilience. So, again, we're worried about climate change here. We've shot ourselves in the foot. My question is, how are we going to get ourselves out of it? That's what this is about, uh, the vision here for the next year. All right, going on uh, next uh, 16 months, roughly. I'm, not, I'm doing an about number. What we have to face. Where are we going as a nation here? Where are we going here? If you're a company, how are you going to respond to this? Because I tell you what, there's going to be political fights inside companies on who they support and what where they're going with this. And that's what it comes down to. And that's all part of the safety war. I'm going to go and uh, go to commercial break. And we're going to go start back with some of our uh, news and views, uh, or more news and views, uh, in a minute here. Hold on. Safety Wars is streaming now. 
safetyfm.com. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. OSHA recordables, catastrophic losses, environmental disasters. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Pozel with Safety Wars. That's my daddy. This is Safety Wars, broadcasting to our brothers and sisters in the occupied territory of behavior-based safety. Get out your secret decoder ring. Here is your nightly message. Context drives behavior. Context drives behavior. Okay. Now you're going to say, well, that's our Thursday message. And we're going to talk about context. And again, now, do I like to promote other podcasts that are not on the Safety FM network? No, I don't. Uh, you know, I don't care to do that. My loyalty is to this network. But I'm going to have to mention another podcast called the Delta Flyers. It, it, I mentioned it earlier this week uh, in one of my midweek uh, uh, things and on Twitter, or now X, right? Why do, uh, and this is politics again. Uh, so we have this writer's strike and also uh, uh, the writer's strike and the SAG strike out in California, right? It's a nationwide, but you know uh, everyone focuses on Hollywood. And if you look, uh, they had uh, some of the uh, alumni of Star Trek, like Michelle Hurd, Armament Shimmerman, and I think there's a couple other others. Tracy DeCoco, right? Uh, she was one of the background uh, actresses in The Next Generation, and in a, a couple of the movies, they're involved in the leadership of. Uh, of the SAG, right? Screen Actors Guild. Anyway, she wasn't on the uh, Delta Flyer show, but other people were, and they explained what, and from their point of view, again, exactly what the issues were with uh, that they're going through. I'm talking, this is like slave labor. They said something like 95% of their membership does not make the $26,000 a year needed to have health insurance, for example. They explained, and they went through, and you can go look it up in detail on how they're being basically screwed over on all ends, especially with the streaming platforms, residuals. Uh, they had some statistics there, and according to that program, uh, Star Trek Voyager, ex, uh, Season 7, Cost $51 million for, to produce, uh, and it aired, I believe it was in 2001, it ended. And what ended up happening was uh, they made close to like a billion dollars on that series. It might have been my, they said that effort, that uh, season, and I suspect it was that series. Actors have not seen any money with that because of the streaming services. That tends to be the most popular uh, season of Star Trek. They use that as an example. It's a Star Trek show. And I got to thinking the other day, people ask all the time, why do Hollywood actors tend to lean left? 
And we're talking about Hop. We're talking about Hop here. You heard the promo done by the brilliant Miss Polzel here. Mrs. Polzel. Uh, she, uh, and context drives behavior. So, no, one of the things that defines a society is culture. I think we can all agree on that. Culture defines society. So here we have a community, actors community. Do you think culture is, is uh, important? I think it is. Art, music, song, acting, all this stuff, very important. We get a lot of enjoyment out of it. Remember, during COVID, when we were all depressed and anxious and everything, everybody went to the actors, went to TV. We're participating in this system here. And here we have a system where only 5% of the people are actually making all the money here, making a good chunk of the money. They're 1%. And... In some cases, they're being shamed and everything else uh, to contribute more to their coworkers and everything else. Some are happy, some are sad, the whole nine yards. Now, using this context, where they're getting uh, and the uh, uh, reportedly some of the, the uh, leadership of some of these organizations wants to bankrupt the actors so they can get a the writers so they can get a better deal with them and force them into a bad deal. Uh, and that, that's basically it. Now you have that. They're being abused over and over and over again. Is it any surprise that anything that comes out of Hollywood is going to be what, it, what it's been when you have that? Think about it. Maybe we need to support the downtrodden and the poor and everything else that goes into this. So you're going to say, well, they knew what they were getting into, blah, blah, blah. They should have done this. Yeah, but they're, no, it's, you have a dream that you're looking to pursue. You're hoping to become that 5%, become a successful actor or actress. Some people just want to be a working actor or actress. Uh, but we need to support these folks. I don't like, now, capitalism is not about exploiting people, it's about fairness. The willingness to pay, that sort of thing. People are willing to pay an awful lot of money to these studios for their programs. But the people who are producing those programs are getting the gouvno end of the stick on this deal. And that's how I see it. Uh, so I think it's really important. And again, uh, the, well, some of the things with AI and everything have wide and broad... Uh, Wide and broad nets that they're casting over everything. We mentioned how AI is impacting the safety world here. I did a presentation for a client on this uh, a couple of weeks ago. It's uh, with everything. I mean, so we need to start looking at the context of where people are at, trying to find some understanding and get some peace in this society. And that's all part of the, what that safety war is. Here, so uh, let's go to more regular safety news and news here, and we're going to look at the uh, OSHA press releases for the day and some of the other stories that came across. Department of Labor announces a hazard alert sets up enforcement as extreme heat dangers across the nation. Uh, so the U.S. Uh, Department of Labor today, and this is today, July 27th, uh, announced that its OSHA has issued a heat hazard alert to remind employers of their obligation to protect workers against heat, illness, or injury in outdoor and indoor workplaces. And they have announced that they're going to intensify enforcement where workers are exposed to heat hazards with increased inspections in high-risk injury in industries like construction and agriculture. Agriculture, I mean, we're getting a lot of stuff coming across the feeds on agricultural uh, uh, workers. These actions will fully implement the agency's national emphasis program on heat announced in April 2022 to focus enforcement efforts in geographic areas and industries with the most valuable workers. The action comes as President Biden announced new actions today to protect workers from extreme heat and new investments to protect the communities 
as historically high temperatures break records and expose millions of people to the serious dangers of heat in the workplace. And it goes on and on and on. Since 2011, the Bureau of Labor Statistics had reports 436 people have died due to workplace heat exposure, with an annual average of 38 deaths between 2011 and 2019. In addition, an average of 2,700 cases involving heat illnesses leads to days, loss of work, and all the other stuff. I think those numbers are low. We're going to talk about that in a minute. As the Occupational Safety and Health Administration looks towards proposing a rule uh, with that, and, you know, they have a uh, advanced rulemaking thing. So how is it... Uh, so OSHA is supposed to help prevent injuries. You're, if you're a uh, uh, if you're in a uh, a company, especially in the construction industry, it's in the OSHA regulation that you're you know meant to create programs to go and you know help comply with the act, which says that it's a bad thing. The Occupational Safety and Health Act, which says it's a real bad thing to have people die at work, right? And it's against the law, basically. Now, if you go on here, I'm trying to find the story here. Hold on. In Texas, there was a uh, uh, company said that a worker died from a drug overdose or something. And... Here, where is it? Oh, I'll just tell you what it is. A worker died in a uh, from a drug overdose, and, and that was uh, what it was. They did some investigating, and now it's a heat stress issue. How often does that happen? That happened, uh, I believe it was outside of Austin this week. So something to consider here. I have a whole bunch of stories from yesterday, too, that we did not go over. Give me a second, please. So, uh, you know, that's, uh, that is an issue here with, I, I know that this stuff is, uh, being underreported just, uh, my, you know, my own sense of this, my experience, uh, here, close that out. All right. Westfield. Grain operator again ignored federal safety standards despite warning during probed into near tragic engulfment. And this is from Westfield, Illinois. A 43-year-old employee at, West, at a Westfield grain elevator found himself trapped for five hours in February 2023 as co-workers and emergency responders worked to remove hundreds of pounds of soybeans to pull him out. Thankfully, the worker suffered only minor injuries. The investigation at the facility found the bin operator exposed the employee to engulfment hazards while allowing them to enter the bin without PPE, such as a safety harness and lanyard, while the bin screw auger turned as a lockout tagout situation. At the time of the incident, workers were walking down grain, a well-known hazard that must be avoided to unclog soybeans stacked as high as 30 foot high on the bins inside walls. OSHA determined that the company violated federal grain handling safety standards by allowing employees to enter the bin without protective equipment and by not locking out the auger to prevent movement while workers were inside. Uh, my uncle uh, did a cleanup at a, uh, with an industrial fan. Someone got caught in uh, many years ago, the guy got pureed. It was a horrible situation. All that really survived were his shoes and his hard hat and his belt, I think. The worker uh, avoided serious, uh, serious and deadly injuries. Uh, this worker avoided serious and deadly injuries too often suffered by workers who are trapped in a silo where flowing materials can completely engulf someone in a matter of seconds. The quick actions of his co-workers and first responders prevented him from suffering a fate that needlessly claims too many uh, agricultural workers every year. So I have not opened this up. And again, you're getting my pure reaction right here uh, with everything. So here, let's see what they got him on.
we may go over. So your Safety FM people rocks. We're, you know, you can see us, uh, the rest of the program on the uh, YouTube and well, any of the other platforms we're on. Going down, down, down. So, citation one, item two, type of violation, serious. Each exit was not clearly visible and marked by a sign reading exit. Right? I'm interested to see if they there is an agricultural standard they're going to do. I, a lot of times the agricultural standard refers back to general industry. That was $4,687. Citation uh, one, item one. General duty clause uh, violation, $7,800. The employer uh, employees are exposed to fall hazards in excess of 50 feet while working from a personnel platform lifted by a mobile truck crane, and the employees were not wearing personal fall arrest systems or lanyards attached to specific anchorage points on the personnel. Uh, they, uh, basically they referred to an industry standard, American national standard for personal lifting systems, ASME B30.23-2022, which states they have, have employees wear and utilize, and I hate that word utilize, a personal fall arrest system and lanyard connected to the anchorage point and everything else. So uh, that was that. Citation one item three. 1910.38, no emergency action plan, $7,800. Citation one, item four, A, no fire extinguishers. We're not fire ex- portable fire extinguishers, not visually inspected at least monthly. Let me comment on that. You look on an, a fire extinguisher, and there's usually a tag. On the front of the tag is issued by a state licensed fire inspection uh, place. If you flip that tag over, you have a daily, you have a uh, monthly inspection done by a competent person that's supposed to be signed off on. Most companies fail on this. I can almost guarantee that at your facility, especially if it's just an office building, they fail on that one. Uh, thing, the monthly inspection. Citation one item four B nineteen ten one fifty seven. Uh, an educational program was not provided for all employees to familiarize them with the general principles of fire extinguisher use and the hazards involved in the incipient stage firefighting. Now, two ways you can handle this. First way you can handle this is if you go and you say to your employees, you're not allowed to use fire extinguishers. Then you, can, then you don't have to do this. The second way you can handle this is you have to send everybody out for a training, and you need a live fire training uh, uh, system for doing this. right? And you can look under the NFPA standard. I forget which one it is. There's an NFPA standard that outlines what the training is, how you, how you do the training. So uh, you're going to say, well, Jim, it's simple. You pull the pin and pass, right? Point, aim, squeeze, and sweep, right? Pass method. Yeah, okay, that makes sense, but it's more than that. You'd be surprised the number of people that do cannot do that. They panic. That's why you need a field exercise. They don't know what it is with a fire. Uh, up here in Rockland County, all members of the Community Emergency Response Team get fire extinguisher training. They, we do it right down there at the uh, fire training center. When I was there for my training, I was there with a Girl Scout uh, troop, right? And they were learning how to do it. Uh, there was nothing on that, right? So that was 4B. Uh, citation 1 to item 4A, 5A. Power, the, this is 1910-178. The employer did not ensure that each powered industrial truck operator is competent to operate a powered industrial truck safely as demonstrated by the successful completion of the training. Again, hey, we do that here. $7,800. 1910.178. Industrial trucks uh, were not examined before being placed in service. So uh, they cited them on three different things here. Uh, three different days. Employees were exposed to injury while operating fork trucks, and the employer had not conducted forklift inspections prior to use each day. 
How do you prove that? You need a checklist. And I know contracts are like, oh, screw it. I don't need a checklist. I don't need a checklist. Well, guess what? You could get cited for that. They got cited zero because this was a, uh, 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 they got cited zero for this, but that, that might not happen on that because it's not considered no life-threatening necessarily. I guess, I guess, I'm only speculating there. Citation 19.1, item six, serious. And this was no guarding on equipment. And that was $7,800. Citation one, item seven, serious. Uh, again, uh, this was almost $11,000. The employer did not issue a permit for entering bin silos or tanks in the grain handling facility before the employees entered the bin silos or tanks. 1910 uh, 272. So I, I guess this is all general industry, not agriculture, not on a farm. Okay, fair enough. Uh, 1910-272, the employer did not prohibit walking down grain or similar practices when the employee walks on grain to make it flow within or for out from a grain storage structure. So they exposed them deliberately to engulfment hazards, $11,000. Citation one, item nine, this is another $11,000 almost. When entering the grain storage structure from a level at or above the level of the stored grain, employees did not wear a body harness with a lifeline or use a bosun's chair that met the requirements of subpart D, right? Almost $11,000. Citation one, item 10A, HASCOM, $7,800. No HASCOM plan. Citation one, 10B, another inventory of hazardous chemicals and SDSs. They didn't find them on anything. There's zero. I know citation one, item 10C, uh, labeling on hazardous chemicals in the workplace. That was zero. Citation one, item 10D, safety data sheets. Another zero. And citation one, 10E, serious violations. It was zero. No training, basically. Uh, on those hazardous materials. Now we get into the fun one, right? Not fun for the worker, but we'll discuss this. Type of violation, willful, serious. $93,755. Prior to entry, all mechanical, electrical, hydraulic, and pneumatic equipment, which is presented a danger to employees inside grain storage structures in the grain handling facility, were not disconnected Locked out and tacked out, blocked off, or otherwise prevented by, from operating by other equally effective means or methods. $93,000. Citation two, item two, another $93,755. Employee of 1910-272, employees at the grain handling facility entered bin silos or tanks underneath a bridging condition or where the buildup of grain products on the side can fall and bury them. So you have a bridging where it's like assembled over the top of you. $93,755. So, oh, this goes on. Citation three, item one, $877. No atmospheric testing in the green silo. 1910-272, that was $900. Type of violation other than serious? Housekeeping, right? Uh, in that green silo. Right, $877. dollars uh, $877. Preventative maintenance procedures were not implemented to provide uh, regularly scheduled inspections of mechanical and safety control equipment associated with the dryers. It's $900. All total $272,957 in proposed citations. And what do we talk about every week? Dollar General. There was a Dollar General situation. They say up to $71 million, $21 million. And, and this was in an Austin store. And, and these are all repeat violations. Two serious and two repeat violations. So what are we looking at? Real quick here. Type of violation serious? Fire extinguishers. 
I right. They could have probably got them there for a repeat. Did not uh, provide portable fire extinguishers, which were not to locate and identify so as to readily assess them. That was $9,800. And each outlet box in completed installations did not have a cover for each laser fixture canopy. That could have been a repeat violation. I recall that they might have had that done before. This is a repeat serious violation. Employees are not able to open an exit door from the inside at all times without keys, tools, or special knowledge. Device such as a panic bar that locks only from the outside is permitted on exit uh, or discharge doors. And it was, you know, basically piling things uh, in front of stuff. In front of the uh, uh, exit door located near the restroom was secured with a cord tied to a heavy loaded cart. Exit door located near the inventory room was secured with a lock. 156,000. This is a maximum. Uh, that was corrected during the inspection. I have a feeling they're going to follow up on this. Obstructed uh, exit routes, $122,722. That was a repeat serious one. For a grand total of almost $300,000. So uh, what are we, how are we doing on time here on the safety FM side of things? Okay, we got about three and a half minutes. Was there anything else we wanted to talk about here? National Steel Car fined 140k. That's proposed penalty for worker death in 2021. Uh, the rail car maker pleaded guilty on July 28th after the prop, and this is from Canada. After the province's Ministry of Labor said it failed to maintain safe working conditions, leading to the death of Colin Grayley said the company must also pay a 25% victim fine surcharge, which helps victims of crime. Again, in other countries, this is a crime, as a lot of these things. And, oh, let's finish off with this. Sinead O'Connor passed away. I'm, I, no, they haven't released the cause of death, but I'm going to say this much. Right, she was a very troubled person. I hope she found in death the peace she did not have in life. She had uh, uh, admitted mental illnesses. She went through a trauma with a child committing suicide. I don't know what the circumstances here are, but I'm going to say this much. I'm going to quote one of my favorite TV ministers. Right, uh, Father Bishop uh, Sheen, Bishop Sheen from New York. Life is worth living. Not all problems are permanent. If you have any type of mental health issue, contemplating suicide, anything like that, there is help out there. Please go out there and get help. We need you here to help us fight that safety war that we're always fighting here. Right? And we're here to help people like you out here. For safety wars... This is Jim Pozel. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.
Thank you.